Good morning. It's a pleasant sight to see God's family gather together. And a warm welcome to our visitors. We are delighted that you're here. If you have uh, some time after the meeting, please stick around so we get a chance to, to meet with you and get to know you better. And I will note, it is delightful to see Hannah come all this way from Hawaii. Um, if it was not for family and friends, who would leave Hawaii? This morning I get to tell you my favorite kind of sermon. Because this morning I'm going to talk about a story. And the Bible's filled with stories, and I love the stories in the Bible. This morning, we're going to look at a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So if you would, please, put your uh, electronic devices on vibrate, please, and turn with me in the Gospel of John, the John chapter 6, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And in chapter 6 and verse 1, we're going to start reading about Jesus feeding the crowd of 5,000. Starting in verse 1, John writes, some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him, because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Imagine how you would feel seeing this great crowd coming towards you. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And by the way, if you have an older translation, it will say 200 denarii. And a denarius was a coin that was given uh, for a day's wages. So it was about 200 days' worth of wages. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Okay, so if the crowd is about 5,000 men, if there is women and children with them, we're talking anywhere from 5,000 to approximately 20,000 or more people. So this is a great crowd. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. I love leftovers. I don't know about you, but I love leftovers. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign, that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And so we see the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. 
Now, I want to say this. If all you're going to get out of this story, that Jesus performed a miracle, and Jesus fed 5,000 people, or more, then you're missing a lot. Very candidly, you're missing a whole bunch. Because this story is like so many, if not all of the stories in the Bible. It is filled with symbolism and meaning. The question is how to get to that symbolism, how to get to that meaning and understand it and recognize it. This morning, I'd like to present to you a way that involves three steps, a three-step method, if you will, to look at the stories of the Bible and glean all there is to have from those stories. So, the first of these three steps, if you will, is a technique, but it's really more of an attitude. And it is to ask why. Why is this such and such? Why does it read this way in the Bible? You know, I don't know about you, but have you ever read, uh, I've done this many times, read a passage over and over and over again, and then like after many readings, something hits me and it's like, why didn't I realize this before? All those times I was reading it, it's like if you ever watch the old V8 commercials, it's a V8 moment. Why didn't I recognize that? Don't be afraid or shy to ask the question, why? It's not a guarantee that you're going to understand everything in the Bible because none of us do. But it leads to an attitude of exploring the Bible, to ponder, to dwell on what the Bible is saying. Why is this? Have you ever done that, where you, you couldn't understand a passage and you were just thinking about it over and over again? Dwell on it during the week. Dwell on it during the day. And I will mention this. Don't hesitate to ask God for wisdom. Lord, help me to understand this, this subject, this issue. Because God gives wisdom. And don't hesitate to ask your brothers or sisters about this. Because not only do you get any insights they have to offer, but you spur them to dwell on the word and to consider what the Bible has to say. So the first thing I would ask you to say is ask why. Question what you're reading. The second thing is to simple. There's, a, there's an old saying, keep it simply simple. That's the nice version. Kiss, keep it simply simple. Simplify the Bible, what it has to say. There are events and facts in the Bible that are filled with meaning that we can arrive at if we simplify it. And that means to make it as basic and generic and fundamental as we possibly can. And when we do that, we see and realize the Bible at a fundamental level. And the more you practice that, the easier it becomes. And you'll end up doing that not only with the Bible, but with movies and books and TV shows and whatnot. And the news, even. Ask why, simplify. The third thing is compare. Compare the simplified facts that you have arrived at and compare it to similar scriptures, similar scriptures, passages. And you're going to see that the truths of the Bible are interconnected, like gears in a fine watch. You'll see and realize how connected they are. So there's three methods, the three-step method, I should say, is to ask why, 
to simplify and compare. Now, having said that, let's look at this story again, and let's see how this plays out and what we can recognize from this story. Verse 5, going back, of John 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Why did he ask this question? And this is an easy question because it's nice and easy. It's answered in the next verse. He asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. And so we simplify this and say, God tests us. Not only did he test Philip, he tests us. Verse 7. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, said, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And let's simplify that to get to the core of it. And what this is saying is, is that we cannot meet other people's needs. Okay, that's a humbling thought. I can't meet my needs. And I can't meet your needs. We cannot meet other people's needs. You know, Philip gave him, the, Jesus, the adult answer. The academic answer, if you will. He looked at the crowd, estimated the size of the crowd, a daily allowance for food and fish and bread, and came up with a price. That wasn't what was called for in this situation. That wasn't what this situation was about. We cannot meet other people's needs, as humbling as that is. Verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. You see, you and I can't meet other people's needs. We can't meet the visitor's needs. We can't meet the world's needs. But here's the good part. God can. God can. He has and he will. God can meet other people's needs. Verse 9. I'm going to go back. Next point. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish but how far will they go among so many? Jesus took those loaves. Now, what happened here? Did Jesus snatch the loaves and the, and the fish from the boy when it says he took the loaves and said, you should learn to share. All the people here and they're hungry. Now, he didn't do anything like that. When it says... Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks, it meant that he accepted them. Notice, the boy didn't give Jesus three loaves and a fish and held back some for himself. He had five loaves and two fish. So what in essence did he give him? He gave him five loaves and two fish. He gave Jesus all that he had. He gave Jesus all that he had. And we likewise 
are to give Jesus all that we have. We are to be willing to give him everything. And next thought. Verses 12 and 13. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. The leftovers were more than what was originally given. Isn't that amazing? The leftovers were more. After everyone had eaten and had their fill. And what we see here is this. To simplify it. That when we're willing to give all that we have to God, God accepts that. He takes that. And he makes it so much more. He makes it so much more so that there is an abundance. There's an abundance with God. There's no lack. There's no lack of love or power or wisdom or righteousness. There's no lack. Now we'll look at verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And when they say the prophet, a prophet is a, a spokesperson for God, one who speaks for God. But when they say the prophet here in this context is the one to rule. If we are willing to give all that we have to God, he will take it and make it into an abundance. And the result will be the same as the result here. Is that people will recognize Jesus as God's spokesperson. As the prophet from God. And so here we see these simplified facts that are the fundamentals of this story here. This wonderful story. Now I want to compare the third part to our method here. Compare some of these simplified facts to some verses that say similar things. First of all, God tests us. So if you would, please turn with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, in chapter 8. And here we see, in Deuteronomy 8, verse 1, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today. This is Moses speaking the commands of God to the Israelites. So that you may live and increase and it may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. That is the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. Can you imagine wandering through the desert for 40 years? We talk about working on the job. You know, I've, I've been a construction worker for 30 years, or I've, I've, I've been a fisherman for 25 years or whatnot. I walked through the desert for 40 years. Can you imagine saying that? Why? To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. God tests us in order to know what is in our heart and to see if we'll listen to him and do what he says. Let's look at our next simplified fact. We cannot meet other people's needs. Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. That's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. And in Jeremiah, we're going to look at chapter 2, and it's one verse, but it says a whole lot. 
In Jeremiah chapter 2, in verse 13, Jeremiah writes, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. That's the first sin. The spring. God calls himself the spring of living water. And if you're, you're connecting that to John chapter 4, where Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman, you're right. When scientists look for life on other planets, they look for water. In the desert, there's life where there's water. If there's no water, there's no life. Water symbolizes life, gives life. And here God is saying, he is the, the giver and sustainer of life, all life. This, here's the second sin. And have dug their own cisterns. A cistern is, is a, a reservoir for water. Okay, It holds water, a tank. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. He's saying, you turn from me and you turn to yourselves. And you can't do it on your own. You can't sustain your life and you can't maintain your life. You cannot meet your own needs. But God is right there. He is the spring of living waters. We cannot meet our other, our other people's needs, but God can. He can meet all our needs. Let's look at, we have to be willing to give all we have to God. Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 14. And we're going to start in verse 25 of Luke chapter 14, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. That's a common occurrence in, in the Gospels with Jesus, large crowds. And turning them to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now I want to clarify this. When Jesus says hate, it doesn't mean that you go home today and say to your parents or your family, I hate you. I just read it in the Bible. It's, it's a, a, uh, a hyperbole, an exaggeration to show a preference. That's how much we are to prefer God. And anyone who does not, because other verses tell us very clearly that we are to love each other and to love our families and take care of our families. Verse 27. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. He'll look like a fool. Go down to verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. We are to be willing to give all that we have to God. The good part is he'll take it and he'll multiply it many times over. Look at Mark. Let's turn to Mark chapter 10. Flip back one gospel to Mark chapter 10 and in verse 29. And Jesus says here in Mark 10, 29, 
I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields, and a field, of course, is, is land. It's a lot of money. It's worth a lot of money. Fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them but persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, please understand, I'm not pulling TV preacher and saying, give me $100 and it will multiply 100 times over, like the sham artists on TV that you see so often, sadly. But that God will give us so much more and make it so much more that once we didn't have family, now we have God's family. We have the riches of his love and the hope and the joy and the strength and the goodness that he gives us. He will give us a hundred times more. And lastly, the result will be that people will recognize Jesus as God's spokesperson. Turn back with me to the, to the Gospel of John. And we're going to read chapter 13 of John, where Jesus is with the disciples. And he says in chapter 13 of John, in verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to know it. If we are willing to give up all that we have for Jesus... For the love of God, we're going to love each other. And it's going to show to the whole world. And we will truly be the light of the world. The result will be that people will recognize Jesus as God's spokesperson. So here we have this wonderful story. And a method I recommend to you. Three things. To ask why, to simplify, and to compare to other verses, the truths of the Bible. Here we see that this is far more than just Jesus feeding 5,000. But it's an example, a picture to show us if we give all that we have and all that we are to God, he'll take us and make us who we should be. He'll make us much more than we ever could be on our own. And he will reward us greatly. And people will glorify God. To anyone who's not a Christian, I ask you this morning, are you willing to give all that you are to God, who you are? Turn with me to our last scripture, and it's Acts chapter 2, where the first gospel sermon is given by Peter. And in Acts chapter 2, in verse 36, we read this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. In verse 36, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's saying to Israel, but he's saying to everyone. That Jesus Christ is Lord, and we can be sure of that. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent, that is to change their minds, to living from them for themselves, to living for God. And be baptized, that is to be dipped, to be immersed in water, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are not a Christian, won't you give all that you are and all that you have to God? 
Won't you not leave this building not believing, not being a Christian, but make this the best day of your life and come forward now while we stand and sing.